latest edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Welcome to this TSRA podcast regarding international training in cardiothoracic surgery. My name is Mia Lehtinen and I'm doing my cardiothoracic training in Helsinki in Finland and I'm an associate member of TSRA. And today I'm joined by two colleagues, esteemed colleagues from both the US and Europe to discuss how career pathways can cross borders of countries and what kind of pathways there are for those residents who are interested in doing a more international training than what the traditional one is. So doctors joining me today are Dr. Arnar Gershen from Yale. He's the chief of division of cardiac surgery there and an associate professor. And also we have from European side, Dr. Rafa Sadaba from Hospital de Navarra in Pamplona, Spain, and also an associate professor at the University of Navarra. So thank you both very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so, much. so we could perhaps first start with the brief summary of how you both ended up doing your cardiothoracic training. So if you could just briefly tell where did you do your medical school and where did you go then to do your cardiothoracic training? And can we maybe start with you, Dr. Gerson? Yeah, so uh, I uh, am originally from Iceland, although I was born in the U United States, uh, although I lived there for a couple of years before, and I was raised in Iceland. Did my medical school in Iceland and then for general surgery, and at that time when I decided whether to go, uh, well, in, in Iceland you have to go abroad to get your advanced training, uh, at least at that time point, and it's either option going to Europe or the US. Uh, I decided to go to the United States, uh, I went to Yale into general surgery, and then I went uh, to get additional advanced training in cardiothoracic surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. And following that, I went, came back to Yale and on faculty uh, as assistant professor initially, uh, then with a little bit of sidetrack back to Iceland is basically has been here at Yale for uh, full time since 2016, although total for close to 22 years. Right. Okay. Uh, Dr. Sadaba, could you share your pathway? Yeah, so I'm originally from Spain. Uh, from uh, the Basque Country in northern Spain, so I attended the university in the University of the Basque Country. And it was at the time that uh, we were finishing medical school that uh, we started to see adverts from uh, UK. They were looking for uh, newly graduates um, doctors to to come and work over there, and it was so easy. And I always wanted to to go away for some time that uh, we just I just went to England. Uh, it was very easy to, to find a training job and I did uh, my basic surgical training there and then I uh, was lucky to enough to go on to the higher surgical training so I got what is called a national training number 
which is what a, a local graduate would get, and I finalized my cardiothoracic surgical training there. I, in that time, I spent um, one year away in, in Australia, in Perth, in Western Australia, at um, Sir Charles Gardner Hospital, um, and that was a very interesting experience for me and for the rest of the family because the five of us went there. <laughs> and as soon as as soon as I finished my training and I got qualified in the UK, I was lucky enough to find a job in in Spain, and I came to Pamplona, which is quite close to to my birthplace. So um, that's the story of my life. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So both of you basically have been traveling quite a lot acro across the oceans as well. Um, the system in Iceland, of course, is really unique since you cannot, you sort of are forced to go abroad if you want to go advanced in your training. Uh, was it then really easy to find information about how to apply for a training in the US or how to apply for trainings in Europe? So at that time, certainly, well, this is in 97, 98 when I go there. So the, the, the information was primarily, you know, uh, you went to the library or to the bookstore and bought a book about training programs in the U.S. <clears throat> a lot of it is, was, though, uh, I think at least in, for Iceland, people from Iceland coming to the U.S. based on personal connections of others, Icelandic physicians or surgeons who had trained in the U.S. The same applies actually when there are a fair amount of people from Iceland who train in, in Scandinavia. Um, and, uh, and that's how I ended up going to Yale is there used to be a general surgeon uh, who trained there uh, from Iceland and uh, Margaret Ottstadter and she actually got me uh, a position at Yale basically. Although at that time, we can go through that later. I mean, the, getting to the US requires to matching into a program, but I was lucky enough to kind of be at the right time at the right place um, to match into general surgery at Yale. Um, what was, we yeah. in Europe, we hear a lot of horror stories about taking the exams to pass the tests for the license in the US. Um, how did you find that? What was your approach? I, I, when I kind of had decided that I wanted to go to the U.S., I took the exams um, during medical school, uh, which I think it was easier because you, uh, you know, especially the step one, which is a lot of basic science stuff, chemistry and biology. Uh, uh, I actually did take that in the, in the later part of my medical school, so it was reasonably fresh in my mind. And the same thing applied when I took the second step. I think that is the probably the most challenging to try to reread something that you haven't studied for quite some time. And so if you're really seriously considering it, I think you should do it earlier than later. I think now it's a little bit easier. Uh, it depends on the country where you live, how easy to take the test, but a lot of this can be done on specific test sites uh, uh, online, of course. Mm -hmm. And how was it actually, when applying for a training program or for a training position in the UK, uh, was there any special qualifications or exams that they wanted? Not at all. No, because it's part of the um, European Union common market. There was no problems whatsoever. Um, the way it used to work those days is that uh, 
the British Medical Journal had a, a jobs section. Um, and all the training positions were advertised in there. And so you would apply for it, you would send your CV, if you were selected or shortlisted, you would go for a for an interview, and then if you were selected, then you would go to, for the for the position. Um, it was quite a straightforward, and at that time, I didn't have to pass any exam or or anything really. Um, so it was very easy, very easy. Exactly. Um, was it easy to get in contact with the university hospitals there, or the hospitals that were training? No, no, not at all. You know, as I said, they would advertise the job. So, you know, it was, I remember it very well. You would send an application to the personal department of the teaching hospital, and then they would call you for an interview. I think I was lucky enough in that that was a time in that uh, they needed uh, plenty of doctors in, in, in the UK. Um, so we were <laughs> welcome everywhere. And it, you know, it didn't take me much longer than to any, Obviously, it is true that training cardiothoracic surgeries at that time was probably the, the longest uh, path. You know, it would take you a long time, but to any anyone, me or anyone from from there as well. So I never felt that I was in any dis disadvantage to to the local trainees in in applying for jobs or getting jobs. It was the experience was um, good, and and I have very good memories from that time actually. Sounds great. Sounds encouraging, definitely. Uh, how did you then end up in Australia? How did you manage to yeah. organize that? Yeah, that, that was, again, as Sarno said, with uh, contact, uh, personal contact. So um, when I was training in, in Leeds, one of the um, consultant surgeons there happened to, to know um, this other surgeon in, in Perth, Mark Newman, and he contacted um, uh, Mark and there was a. I was very lucky because there was a very there was a senior reg, senior registrar, which is a, a senior training position in, in that hospital at that time. And um, but it was an Australian, so it was not a fellowship. It was a, a, actually an Australian uh, training position. But because they couldn't find anyone who would go to to Perth, and there was no local trainee, and no one wanted to come to the west from the east. Um, and and I applied for that position, so they gave it to me. So again, it was it was a great experience and 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 very straightforward. So yeah, it was very good actually. Great. Uh, were were there any special exams or licenses that you needed to? Well, I had I had I well because by the, by that time I have my British um, qualification, so already have my my fellowship in the Royal College of Surgeons. Uh, I think that made uh, things a bit easier. Um, but then the only thing I had to pass was a, a medical test. So I had to have a chest x-ray and go to a primary care physician to, to have a health check. And and that was it. Um, I got my visa. In fact, I, as I said before, it was uh, the whole family. So my wife and my three children who who went and spent their year. And again, it was uh, another fantastic experience, uh, that one, yeah. So what I hear from both of you basically is I think that um, you can quite freely go around and ask for a position as a trainee in another country and you can easily contact or at least it seems to be that there's 
no need to really wait for some official positions or official fellowships. You can just go around and ask. Would you encourage that nowadays as well, if you are interested in going abroad, that you find a unit, an institution, a hospital where you would like to work and just contact the chief there or what would be the best way to find a position abroad? So, so I think I think in the U.S. it's uh, a, a bit complicated. Uh, uh, so, so if you want to get into a formal training position, you need to have to go through the match. I think there are opportunities, especially for a European surgeon or anybody from abroad, if they want to come to the U.S. to get some advanced training, and that's usually occurs through kind of these similar informal pathways, uh, or 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 through ads that are placed at. Uh, commonly CTSnet, uh, uh, and uh, uh, where uh, people apply for what they call clinical fellowship or specific uh, uh, advanced fellowship training. Um, and, and that doesn't have to go through the same matching system. And I think it is important to note, at least I think it is true, especially for coming into the US, uh, even matching into a program Developing personal relationship and reaching out to people, your compatriots or, or somebody that you know, always matters. Uh, because, uh, and specifically if you want to come and do residency in, in the U.S., because there's so many highly qualified applicants and it's difficult to weed through very good applications. And certainly, you know, uh, uh, having personal communication about a certain individual always helps. Dr. Sadapa, do you know how? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, mean I, I think in Europe, again, if you want to do the game, it's a bit easier within Europe, isn't it? Um, but I still, uh, we have the, the language barriers in Europe. Um, for some, that, may, that might be a problem. Um, there are some countries, countries in which um, things are much easier than in others. Uh, it was much easier for me to go to the UK than for a British student to come over to Spain, regardless of the language, because you have to go through different selection processes. And you know that there is an issue um, in European countries, that there is no, um, there are so many different, you know, every country has different systems to, to go into training, and that makes the whole thing quite complex. Whereas for, as, as uh, Anna was saying, uh, if, if you're, if you want to do an advanced fellowship or you want just to spend time in a different country within Europe, that, that is not that difficult. And I think that there is a fairly good interchange of, of, uh, of um, junior surgeons um, across many European countries. Mm. And I think, and we've spoken about this before, that I think is, uh, for us it's is important to, to make it easier for people to train in different countries within Europe. Going outside, away from Europe, that I think is even more complicated and, and, and it's probably more difficult than in the past. Um, although we are globalizing, we are, you know, the, the, the world is becoming flatter for many things. But this is, is not that easy. And trying to develop um, examinations to certify surgeons so they can travel more easily, um, that's, that's one of the, of the ways to, to improve matters. Um, and then also important, I think, that is the opportunity that um, in some countries, um, like in Europe or North America, can offer 
to people coming from underserved um, uh, parts of, of the world. And I think that is something that on which we should also improve. Um, you both also have done the step of going from the country where you were trained back to your home country, uh, where you weren't trained, but where you continued your career. Um, was there any problem there once you had finished your training to get that training uh, sort of accepted in the country where you go back to? Uh, yeah, I can, I can, so uh, for me, it, uh, once you get, once you finish your training in the U.S., especially if you take the so-called U.S. board exams, then it was easy to transfer that and it was recognized uh, in Iceland uh, by the uh, medical authorities. I'm not sure that it's like that everywhere, I, do I, I, but I do suspect that's the case. Certainly, it's interesting, I certainly went back to Iceland, I worked there for four years and then I came back to the US. Is that, um, especially if you the longer time you spent away, I think, from your home country, like in my, it becomes uh, uh, somewhat challenging to navigate the, the system where you are from, actually. It, there is a significant difference, I think, between different countries, how we practice, how we interact, and, 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 and how things are done. Um, although I really like working in the in back home in Iceland, and the reason why I decided to go back to the US was for uh, additional opportunity there arise. Um, uh, so I think you have to be, uh, I, th I think there are challenges initially, no matter what you do, especially when you come from Europe to the U.S., even just for training, it, it, the first few months there's a culture shock, and it was a bit of a shock also coming back. Although, you know, not you know, a little bit less, you know, but certainly uh, you can see that a little bit. How that just the way the things are a little bit, just the way that we practice is a little bit different. I'd say. Yeah, it was. I, I I didn't have a problem because you know having a, a European degree been in the UK, so we didn't have difficulty coming back to Spain, but it was a bit of a shock. And I agree with Thurman, you know, it was, took me a while and I had to, you know, my mindset had to change to, to say, listen, you know, this is not the UK, now you're in Spain. This is how it works, things work here. You either like it or not. If you, if you like it, that's okay and you stay. And if you don't like it, either too bad or go back there, you know? Um, and it, it, the good thing is that it, you know, it took me, it didn't take me that long to, to get used to the system here, but it, it was, it was a bit of a shock to, you know, changing everything because the whole think, concept of, of, of work in, in one place or another. It was funny because it was my year in Australia, which um, made me think, of, of coming back home because uh, the way of life and everything in Australia was probably a bit more like the one you, you would find in Spain than in the UK. And, and family also uh, matter in, in, in that, that decision. Um, but yeah, it took me a while to, to, to settle down here and, and learn again to, to, to live in, in, in the system.
it's okay. <laughs> no regrets whatsoever. <laughs> what I felt that was interesting about it, you say this, is that even the medical lingo in, in I mean, if you, even if you speak fluent um, English or for me, fluent Icelandic, kind of moving back between medical system to kind of get back into the, just speaking about patient in Icelandic suddenly and presenting is challenging, you know, was initially, I mean, you know, so going, you know, so, and I remember vividly when I came back here initially to the US, it was very challenging to, to as I said, even you speak reasonably fluently English, it was very challenging just to, to you know, understand how the medical lingo in, in the in the US works. I mean, it's just a little bit different than the normal language. And there's the same thing, obviously, you know, in, in every country, in every language, I presume. Did you, well, our specialty is quite fast paced. Uh, when you both were working in a foreign culture, sort of, and with the foreign language that maybe isn't your native language, did you find any uh, circumstances or any events when you really felt that maybe you shouldn't be here, that this is too much for me, that working in a new culture, new environment, in a new language, with new people is just too overwhelming? Uh, no, I don't recall that. Well, I'm sure there must have been a moment. Uh, uh, when, as I said, when I came initially to the US, it was 98, they, they didn't want any, there was no workout limitation. Work, you, they are, I mean, a lot. I mean, one can argue excessively, but um, no, but I think in general, if you, you, you know, if you, if you work hard, you put a lot of effort into it. And I think that's really the key, especially if you're, uh, uh, you know, foreigner uh, in a country, you know, the first few months when you, need you know go to a new place especially abroad i mean obviously it matters nowhere it's also in your own native country if you take a new job you gotta work really hard the first few months impress people because after that you can make mistake and you'll be you know, people look away from that but if you make a lot of mistake when you're especially some foreigners you know in a different country in you know people will presume that you don't know what you're doing, you know, they don't give you the same leeway. So I think, I think that was a little bit challenging, but I think you get over that. And, and as, as long as you work hard and do a good job, and you know, you kind of easily accommodate and you kind of can part of, be part of the system uh, uh, so without any problems. Yeah, I, would, I entirely agree with that. I cannot, you know, have, you know, 100 good memories for one that might, might be not that happy, uh, but I guess that would, happen anywhere even if I had stayed in my in my home country um, and also I guess you are younger and you are eager to do new things and you know it doesn't matter whether you know you have a bad day everything else is more important and you know I have loads of anecdotes of, of, of funny situations but uh, I look at them and I, you know, most of them you know, at the end, good memories. Um, it's, it was probably, I'm probably age might play, might be a factor for that. Uh, it was probably more difficult to come back. And sometimes a certain of same language. I remember in, in the operating theater, in the operating room, I, you know, that was very difficult for me to, to change back to Spanish. And I you know, keep asking, you know, for the pump to go up, up, go and pump. You know, I didn't know how to say those things. 
in, in, in Spanish and um, but again it didn't, took, it didn't take me long to, to get used to the, <laughs> to the local technical language but I as I said you know they're all for me it's positive experience uh, going there and coming back uh, as I said no no regrets I would have them have done it exactly the same um, probably these times are difficult you know and and the way it was back then, but uh, still, um, it's, I would encourage everyone and anyone to to try to to go away temporarily or permanently. Changing is is good, and I think is is healthy and it's always rewarding. You always come back with with more than what you left. That's good. Um, both of you did your whole training then abroad. Do you think? In your opinion, in your experience, is that the best way to go abroad to do the whole training, or would you think some other timing during your career would be a better one for international um, fellowships or international training? I'm not sure it really makes that much of a difference. I, I do agree with Rafa. I mean, I think I would encourage everybody to uh, expand their horizon. Uh, I do believe if you you know, I mean, it, it just offers opportunity to see how things are done differently, uh, sometimes in a better way, sometimes in a worse way than where you're trained. And, and do. so I don't think it really matters uh, uh, if you do it for a short period of time, whether it's a year or two, or for your whole training for eight to 10 years. Uh, I think certainly, I think it is true. And I think the longer you stay in a certain system, the more especially when you get older, it becomes like similar to kind of what happened to me, what I experienced, that it becomes more difficult to return, even though the plan originally for me was always to go back to Iceland and work there, you know, for the long term. Um, I do believe the longer you stay in a certain system, the more challenging it becomes. So, although you never know, you may go back to, I may go back to Europe one day again. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I agree with Arna. Uh, in fact, the truth of the matter is that when I went to the UK, my intention was to be there for one or two years and then come back and, and, and do my residency at home. But things got complicated and it was so easy to make progress and, and get another job. And, and you, knew, met, you were happy there and you met people and then you stayed on and stayed on. Um, but that probably not the best option or the option that would attract most people. Um, and I don't think that that's necessary. But I think it's important you spend, and no, it's not a matter of just going two or three months away. You know, you have to go away for a period of time, minimum, I would say one year, one or two years, um, because that's when you really get into the system, get to know the system and, and really learn how others work. And that's when you, you can get, learn one or another technique if you spend you know, a few days or a few weeks, but it's, it's the way of working and the way of living, which I, I think is more enriching than just learning one or another technique. Um, and that's, that's the value that you bring back home. Because at the end of the day, you go for your own benefit, but you always go for the benefit of your patients and your center when you come back. Um, and, and, and therefore, uh, I think that... Um, you know, that's also spending a year or two years for me would be the, the ideal. 
because uh, sorry, as I as Sarah was saying, otherwise you might not come back. <laughs> you know, and it, it is more difficult to come back. <laughs> I and I think actually, uh, I think it is true. Also, uh, you you do need to be at a, a at a place for a little bit of a time to gain the trust, especially if you come for like a advanced training, just to gain the trust and you know and and actually start to do stuff and and really uh, uh, you know and I think it takes yeah minimum six probably a year and that's what I would recommend if you want to come from advanced training is is is, is go for a year or two and it also it, it raises your own kind of uh, you gain experience of course but it kind of raises your own profile or value if you go back that you actually got went somewhere and got more training more you know experience you meet a lot of new people you develop relationships I think it's really a a great way to do it and you know you certainly stay in touch with people who have come and trained with us here at Yale from all over the world and it's always fantastic yeah um, regarding those shorter fellowships or shorter stays um, in both of your units uh, are there international trainees or international surgeons currently staying with you and doing some advanced training for a shorter period so um, yeah, we we have we don't have anyone now for obvious reasons, but um, we tend to get uh, surgeons, residents, or junior surgeons from from Argentina, um, and that's always a great experience for us um, to 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 have them there, um, and I think they also you know, enjoy it. And you know it's also quite a straightforward, always quite a straightforward and another problem for us in terms of technical, not technical, administrative problems. Let let's say, um, but we don't have uh, more experience than, than that. Yeah, at the moment we have uh, uh, we typically have here at Yale three uh, what we call clinical fellows, which are usually not all the time. Uh, international kind of graduates uh, we currently have a person from turkey there's a hopefully if things kind of open up in the next uh, couple of months we'll have a, a, a person coming from the uk um, and so we do uh, value that you know i think we to offer people that experience and also you know certainly value having people here from all over the world so uh, I think it is, it enhances our program and provides opportunity for everybody. Right. So definitely spots open, arms open for international trainees in both, both of your units. Um, I, mean, I, think, I think that it, it is enriching for, for the fellow who travels, but it is, as, as Arnar was saying, it's also enriching uh, for the center who is, is taking the, the fellow. Having people from having people from as far away as, uh, as Argentina or, or other European countries, you know, you always learn things. Uh, you know, one way or another, it's always uh, meeting people from far away. is always beneficial. You, you always learn things. So it's, for us, it's, it's interesting as well. Um, okay, so our podcast is going towards the end. And at 
this part of the podcast, I would like to ask both of you to give your idea for these two scenarios that I would have in my mind. What would you recommend? For first of all, we would have for Dr. Sadako, the trainee in the States who is fluent in Spanish, fortunately, and he or she would like to come to Spain to learn cardiothoracic surgery. Um, he or she has just finished the training in the US in the medical school, but is now thinking about if he or she should come immediately to Spain to do the whole training or wait a bit longer and come later. What would be the best approach? How, where do that per, should that person get in contact with? Where to reach that, that, out? Yeah, that is a good question. So if, if you've just, just finished medical school, um, it would be easy, it, would be not, it wouldn't be that difficult to go through a, the entry system into training here. So um, there is an entry exam, which is uh, across all the specialties. And then uh, then depending on your, on the ranking, then you can choose a specialty and, 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 a, and a place. So that, that is fairly straightforward, you know, if you can do the exam. If, if you want to do some, uh, a fellowship, um, that's very much depending on of, of centers and, and how those centers have the fellowships organized. For instance, because very much some of them can uh, offer you a salary, which is obviously fantastic. Um, but others will allow you to, to be part of the team, but they don't have the, the means to, to pay your salary. So you would have to find a salary by, from, from other sources. Um, but all in all, I cannot see a big, big problem. The only thing is that you have to have your uh, basic degree uh, recognized in the country. But again, that is just an administrative process. It's not that, that complicated, to be honest. Right. And the same thing vice versa across the ocean. So a person, a resident, or actually someone finishing their medical school in Europe who would like to go to the US and maybe has his or her eyes specifically on Yale and is wondering how, what would be the best approach now after medical school? What should he or she do first? So, um, yeah, I guess it's a, it, it, you would have to, so in order to train in the US to become a cardiac surgeon or cardiothoracic surgeon, you either, there are really three tracks. You can either go straight in from medical school into a training program. It's called so-called I six programs. You can uh, go into the kind of traditional track, which we call. But you go first to general surgery, and then which is five years, and then you do a two or three year fellowship program in cardiothoracic surgery. And the third track, which is not as common, but it's called the four three track, is that you match for to four years of general surgery and three years of cardiothoracic surgery in the same place or same hospital training program. Um, I think it, certainly there are plenty of people who would do it that way. I think for international, uh, uh, at the moment for, for foreign medical graduate, you, just, you have to finish that, those steps, the exams, you know, for most medical school are recognized in the US, so it's just an administrative issue to get it. Then you have to get an interview course and get into a program. The I-6 program for foreign medical graduates are quite challenging. We're very competitive at the moment, so go straight into cardiac surgery. 
And so that is um, not to say, I think uh, there are always probably 10, 15% of the people who match are uh, for medical graduate that come straight in. And those are generally people who have gained some type of research experience in the US or have very strong academic credentials. The I6 is extremely competitive, I think. It's probably easier way to get in for, or more kind of, is to go through the traditional program is to match into general surgery. And after you do that, you, you go into cardiothoracic surgery training program, that, you know, after these five years, it's probably an easier path for most uh, for medical graduates. And, and four, three programs also quite, there are not many of them, and they're also quite competitive. So, so I think it is kind of comes to the, you know, so, uh, uh, it, it, you do have to have a fairly strong resume. Uh, especially if you're going to go into I6. If you want to go into general surgery first, you can get into a little bit easier, but you certainly have to do work hard and do well in order to get it. So I think it is a bit more complicated than getting a training spot in Europe, but certainly not on Toronto. But just keep in mind that still a large proportion of the doc doctors practicing in the U.S. are for medical graduates. I think it's up to a 25 to 30% of people practicing in the U.S. are, are FMGs. So there are plenty of people who have done it, and there are plenty of people who will continue to do it. Great, thank you. I hope these um, examples now really encourage anyone who is thinking about a career in an international setting to really reach out and look for open spots abroad and ask for open spots abroad in whichever country most people are interested in. And I really thank you both for taking the time to join me in this podcast and i really value all of your uh, recommendations and sharing your experience in this international career session thank, thank you very much. much thank you thank you very much thank you